Hello, and welcome to the Family Bookshelf. I am Nick, the Game Schooling Dad, and with me is my wife, Amber, of AmbitionsForChrist.com. Today, I have three books for you, two that I really enjoyed, and one that I would tell you to uh, skip and find something new. Uh, I'm going through the sci-fi part of my library today. I was in there <laughs> looking around and found three books in that section, sci-fi. I actually don't read a whole lot of sci-fi. Um, I'm more of a fantasy guy myself. I, I like dragons and wizards and swords much more than I like, you know, laser guns and spaceships. So <laughs> there you go. A little oddity about me. I don't know why. <laughs> no, I, I, don't, I can't do sci-fi. I don't like sci-fi. It's just I, I prefer okay. fantasy over sci-fi any day. So the first one I, I read a long time ago. I actually read in college. Uh, it's called State of Fear by Michael Crichton. Michael Crichton also died when I was in college a while back. Uh, very sad. But he was a very smart man. He was actually a uh, trained medical doctor, I believe. Oh, wow. So I never knew that. very intelligent. And this book, State of Fear, uh, actually talks about the environment and how people use the environment and the fear that they instill with the environment to be in control. The, the idea is they want the populace to be kept in a state of fear because that makes them easier to control, that makes them easier to consume, that makes them easier to run their lives than people who are happy or calm or, you know, content Ooh. with their lives. So <laughs> this was kind of prophetic. <laughs> this was relevant. Yeah, this was relevant. Um, however long it was when I was back in college, it's even more relevant today. Right. And, and you can, obviously, <laughs> you can definitely see it, obviously, with the, the pandemic and COVID and even the environment still. Right. They continue to push this and harp this. And he actually has some really good points. It totally made me change the way I thought about climate change. Of course, I went to a liberal university. I went through the humanities. I was an English major. I did all that stuff. So I was fully, you know, baptized <laughs> in the realm of liberal propaganda. Yeah. I mean, that's what they teach 24 7 when right. you're there. That's all we knew, and that's all they ever pushed at you. And this is the this is the one book that kind of made me step back and say, okay. I think there's some more studying that needs to be done here. Right. Uh, I don't think, even at this point in time when I was a flaming liberal, I don't think that the environment is going, or the, I guess the world is going to end in, you know, six months if we don't, you know, all sacrifice our lives to, you know, the altar of environmentalism. So this was the one book. And he had some, it, of course, again, he's a, he's a very smart, trained doctor, and he has all of this information, all these charts and graphs, which I just absolutely love and make it super easy for me to reference and see, and just totally blew my mind as far as, wow, the entire environmental um, platform is basically lying to you. <laughs> They've been wrong for 50 years. Uh, they've always been wrong. They have no idea what they're talking about. They're throwing darts out there and expecting you to fall in line and listen to them. Right. It's amazing. I mean, they, and this was a good, this was, again, this was before we've gotten as crazy as you are now. Right. Well, fear, it's powerful. It doesn't matter what year you're in or what panic or pandemic is going on <laughs> at the time. It's something that will control a person instantly and they've known that for a long time yeah fear is definitely i mean you can if you've studied history in world war ii you know that's pretty much how hitler took power and was able to do what right. he did he got the entire country afraid of the jewish menace right yeah and that's and what he did yeah that's how he took power so fear is very powerful and this book really just changed the way that i looked at that and i really enjoyed state of fear by michael crichton so definitely opened my eyes as far as environmental. It's something I would still recommend today. Oh, yeah. It sounds to great to 
even enjoy now when you're in the middle of it. <laughs> right? And, and so much has changed even since then for 10 years. And there's other books. I think I've talked about Apocalypse Never mm. by Michael Schellenberger on this show before. You might have to go back and look. I don't remember where it was. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the environmentalism hasn't changed a whole lot. Uh, I should say the environment hasn't changed a whole lot. But the rhetoric that the environmentalists use has ramped up exponentially. Right. You know, again, we had AOC saying just last year that we have 12 years, we're all going to be dead. Yeah. It's like, you're insane. You're a crazy person. You know, right. That's not how this works. Well, and unfortunately, it tends to be rhetoric pushed by a politician, not by a scientist or not by someone even in that field, typically. Sure. Which I mean, is the, the person weird. who was most famous and probably brought this to the regular guy's attention was Al Gore. Right. Not a environmental scientist he was a politician yeah and not a very good one at that right (laughs) other discussions other days (laughs) (laughs) so i was state of fear by michael Crichton. i highly recommend it i love pretty much everything by michael Crichton. i don't think there's a single book of his that i've read that i haven't enjoyed so i could Mm. probably recommend his entire body of work but state of fear is definitely special for me uh the next on my list is called feed by mt anderson uh, again, this one was a little, it's a little dated now. This was coming out just as the cusp of cell phones were really starting to become a big deal in our society. Man, it's hard to even remember a time when we didn't have a cell right? phone in our hands. I actually went through most of my college career without a cell phone. I didn't get a cell phone until I was a senior in college. And even then, it was one of them flip phones. You had, <laughs> yeah, the, exactly. you had to hit the thing three times, four times to get an S, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Why would you put an S, four buttons, and button, you know? So... <laughs> But this book talks a lot about how in, uh, technology changes the way we interact with each other, mm-hmm. the way we interact with ourselves, and it dumbs us down to an immense degree that we don't realize. Right. Uh, and all through the lens of consumerism and all through the lens of kind of a dystopian view that this kid has to go through. He falls in love with this girl who is not as connected with technology as he is and how that kind of is now a struggle for him to be able to go through this. And I absolutely loved this book when I read it. Um, mm. Totally just blew me away at how powerful its messaging was and how powerful the story was. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, you do think about it. You, When you have your cell phone in your hand, it becomes this all-encompassing thing that you have to look at, you stare at. You can't just tear your eyes away from it. And I think that is one of the, so to have it be as a story, especially probably from a dated period where, I mean, they haven't realized yet how big this is going to become, sure. you know? I mean, yeah, I remember the texting too of, yeah, I was like, uh, do I really need to send a text today? Because this is a lot of work. <laughs> or, or the time, you know, probably right before, well before, but right before iPods, mm. let alone iPhones. Right. And the whole tablet thing. I remember when the tablets first came out and we all thought, oh, those are dumb. We don't actually need a tablet. And now everybody has one. Right. I think we have one or two of them. And yeah. They're, like, they're everywhere. And yeah. And you don't realize, and, and I feel bad when we put that in my face and I'm also I've tuned out you I've tuned out the kids it's oh like yeah the way we've connected with each other has become totally different because we're now doing it through an iPhone as mm-hmm. opposed to you know face to face yep and and you know to <laughs> I don't mean to brag or put ourselves down I just want to be kind of honest about it I think we're better than a lot of people unfortunately it seems that way i mean i even had to set special boundaries on my phone to make sure it won't go off other than like text messages from you for during school hours when I'm sure. teaching the kids because I'm like, I can't have that distraction because as soon as I hear it go off, I have to go check it. It's like this, it sits there in my oh, brain yeah. and I have to think <laughs> about like, what is it? What is it? And so it's like, I shut it down so that it can't let me know anything or tell me anything unless it's true emergency sure. from you or something. Well, and even when we go out to eat, we don't go out to eat often, but every time we go out to eat, the entire table, 
uh, the people around us, the entire table, has their phones out. And you and I make a concerted effort to either leave our phones in the car or, or put them in our pocket and turn them off. Yeah, you know? I mean, well, it's even weird when we go to church and we've tried to make sure we take our Bibles in with us so that we don't have to use, like, the Bible on our phone or something. Because if we have to take in our phone, it's going to become a distraction somehow. And it sounds crazy, sure. but I am so much more focused on the sermon and on worshiping God when I just know my phone's not even in the building with me. It's not even an option. <laughs> there is nothing that can reach me here. And it's amazing how much that that technology has just overcome us and taken over our whole lives Definitely. in ways that, I mean, it, it sounds bad, but it's like I hate to even think what our kids are going to feel like yeah. because we feel put on by it. And they're living in a world where it's even a thousand it's times worse than worse. it yeah. ever was for us. So the book is kind of prophetic and it's still a little bit set in the future, but it's really interesting to see how um, in this feed by M.T. Anderson, this dystopian world just kind of is falling apart and it's crumbling mm. around them. And the, the character doesn't even seem to understand or see it or get it or care right. because he's connected to the feed, to the internet. Right. Right? It doesn't matter what the rest of the world happens. You know, mm. He's in his own world. So I, it was a really powerful book. And one of the ones that I've always recommended to kids. Uh, it's been a while since I've read it, so you'd have to forgive me if there's any really bad liberalism in there. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, you know, the big broad strokes of it. Right. So, you know, it's not... Read with discretion, probably with older kids. Of most. Oh, yeah. and yeah, it's definitely a book for older kids. I wouldn't read it to little ones. Right. I mean, means. this is... That's what... Especially with a lot of these books like this, this is a great one to read probably with an older child, you know, an older teen especially, and have these kind of conversations because these stories lend to those good conversations like that where yeah. we do get to talk about what's wrong with technology, what's right with technology, and and our use of it and our how use. do we use it mm -hmm. you know because technology is a wonderful tool when we use it right it's oh yeah amazing but when we it's why we get to it, podcast who yeah, would definitely. have ever thought that we get to podcast yeah. or have a voice <laughs> at all you know i mean that's just amazing so definitely one i think to look at and see if it'd be uh up your alley but mm -hmm. feed by mt anderson all right the final one i have is one that i read and i would tell you to skip it it just wasn't very good and it's called dark orbit by Carolyn Ives Gilman, hmm. and it was pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so this it's a mystery set in space, uh, except it's super feminist. It's all about how powerful, you know, hear me, I am woman, hear me, war, super powerful woman, you know, she's going to okay. do it with no man, you know, she don't need no man, stuff mm -hmm. like that. She could probably do it in heels and better. And... Right. Okay, and, and gotcha. That's nonsense. Like, whatever. Who cares? <laughs> uh, but the whole premise of it doesn't make any sense, okay? So one of the biggest things that this guy, I guess this lady, excuse me, keeps harping, this author keeps harping, is that they travel from um, planet to planet at the speed of light. So it takes 70 years to get from one planet to the other planet. Now, these are scientists trying to do scientific discoveries. So you've figured something out on this one planet. You now hop into this teleportation device, and you're still traveling at the speed of light. It takes you 70 years to get to the place where you can publish it. How much of what you just learned and know is relevant anymore? Not much. I mean, imagine that point in time, right? I think when I wrote my review on this on Goodreads, uh, imagine coming out of college in 2020 having mastered a typewriter. Yeah. What good is that going to do you <laughs> at this point in time? You've now wasted your entire life. Everyone you ever knew is either 
old or dead. And like, what was the point of this? You mm, know, the, yeah. the story basically ends with and everybody dies because what's it matter at this point in time? Hmm. And that's on top of the fact that the whole mystery completely crumbles around itself. So these people have been dying on this spaceship. And at the same time, the spaceship has been um, somehow changing form, you know, it just it's like okay. all of a sudden the spaceship becomes like a Rubik's Cube and it's all been shifted. I don't know how else to say it. And instead of, you know, someone actually doing this or this being some sort of evil plot, uh, science mumbo jumbo. Oh, it's science. You know, <laughs> science did it. What are you talking about? This doesn't right. make any sense. Right. You know, and she has this neat idea of these people on this planet who live in total darkness. And you kind of got the idea of... Um, Oh, is it called Plato's the Cave? Plato's Republic, uh, where the people living in the cave, if they see the mm. shadows, that's all they know is the shadows and things like that. And right. you, you have that idea that's being played with, but played with totally horribly. <laughs> I mean, like doesn't seem to get it at all. You know, you can't just have this person have fully functioning working eyes, you know, come up to the spaceship and then understand everything around her. It, it doesn't work like that. She's never seen any of this stuff before. Um, right. But she understands it quickly and easily. Oh, uh, but she does bump into the wall occasionally. It's like, what are you talking about? This story is nonsense. <laughs> yeah. It was not one that I was impressed with, and I was kind of disappointed with it because I thought the mm -hmm. idea, the premise was cool, but it just wasn't worth my time to read. Right. Well, um, and I think um, with science fiction – there is a beauty to you do get to, you know, claim science and you do get to kind of use your imagination and, you know, go out there a little bit. And that's fun. But I mean, even just the difference between like that and the other ones you mentioned is there was still believable elements to it. Sure. And I think sometimes these sci-fi ones tend to go beyond the believable elements and then it just becomes a distraction. Yeah. And just like you said, all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's a science and I'm just going to ignore it. And it's like, no, I need something the, the best science fiction i mean very much like state of fear and very much i think i've mentioned um project hail mary and i think i mm -hmm. i don't know if i talked about the martian on the show but andy weir actually has a great he's a modern sci-fi author who's doing a great job of it and he actually has one called artemis and I, I bring that up because what he does in the martian and what he does in artemis is the exact opposite things one is very believable and he's walking us through how this guy lives on mars right very believable oh wow this could really happen this is right. how you do this the other one they've established a space station on the moon through science <laughs> and now everything works again and it's like what are you talking about where's that science fiction there's no you've gotten rid mm -hmm. of that science element it doesn't make sense anymore right so i mean you're exactly right it's the believability it's the thing you just you, you look up and say oh wow that could really happen right and it, it doesn't have to be like it's so based in reality that you know it's already all here right. no and it, in fact i think the best science fiction if you look back in time uh, star trek Mm -hmm. which 90% of that is prophetic, right? Yeah. They had communicators. Well, we have cell phones. Yeah. You know, they had you know spaceships. Well, we actually can go into space now. Mm -hmm. They were doing these things before we ever thought we could do them. Right. But they were still believable at that point, and it was something that you knew, like, that could functionally become a thing. Yes. There's yeah. a chance that could happen, you know, mm -hmm. as opposed to mm, – it's basically I – mean, honestly, just – Magic. Call it magic. <laughs> <laughs> call it magic at that point in time. And stop telling me that it's, it's science. <laughs> anyway, those are my three books for you tonight. Uh, that's all I have for you. This has been The Family Bookshelf. I am Nick, the Game Schooling Dad. With me is Amber of AmbitionsForChrist.com. Please like, subscribe, find us on Facebook. This has been The Family Bookshelf. Thank you. Good night.